I'm Francesca Donnellan. Welcome to Becoming More Human, the podcast. Every generation, through its arts and creativity, explores the same questions. Who am I and what really matters? We are so often taught how to emulate others, to make other people happy. But how do we access what's good for ourselves and be strong enough to actually claim it? It's a constant practice because we all keep evolving. There are no limits to personal growth. You can start your journey today and get closer to discovering your true self. Give back to the people around you and make the world a better place. Hello listeners, on this week's episode I'm joined by the incredible conductor. He was the producer behind that famous AJ Tracy track, Ladbroke Grove, now triple platinum and recognised as the biggest selling UK garage record in history. Conductor is also the head of Kiwi Records, where he has led the charge for the resurgence of UK Garage. Following a stream of groundbreaking mixes, releases and parties, the label was just named DJ Mag's Best Label Award for 2020 and picked up Resident Advisor's Best Mix Award with Kiwi Crush. Conductor will be releasing a new project soon, born out of a period of rehabilitation, discomfort, change, growth and loss. It's a project full of hope and a transition of 2.0, a new phase for the young Bristol-hailing producer. After struggling with depression and burnout, and even after entering rehab at the start of 2022, Conductor has then began a new phase of binding his feet again, not only as a producer, but also unburdening the limitation he put on his music and his life. This was an incredible conversation, and I'm so grateful I get to share it with you. So that's enough from me, and let's jump straight in. Conductor, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Um, good. Just coming back from the festival, feeling like <laughs> summer is it like in in full spring? No, full spring in full gear now. It feels like I, I thought it was Saturday today, and I realised it was Friday. Oh. So definitely one of those days we are recording last minute last minute i would say that squeezing in that last bit on a friday <laughs> afternoon well you know everyone it's sunny outside i can hear everybody already but it's yeah. um it's a pleasure to be able to sit down with you because you know what like time is precious and you are sure. one hell of a busy guy so <laughs> i am no thank you for having me i think that even in terms of that time and stuff i think having conversations and conversations like this are quite important in terms of just like speaking about things things that people yeah. know, i think a lot of the time we all live in this echo chamber or like unaware of ah this person might be going through something similar or parallel to what we're going through yeah. but i think a lot of the time a lot of us are going through similarish things it's just no one really speaks about it so it's like it keeps on like everyone keeps on going around like not bumping into each other but like not understanding that yo i'm doing the same thing as you kind of thing yeah and a, and a lot of us are living for weekends and running for the the hills as soon as we can to drown our sorrows so um, and we're not so we're going to jump straight in conductor we ask everybody this sort of similar question and i'm excited to hear your answer to it is but if you were able to pick like a song a piece of poetry film theater book or a fashion moment even you know something that meant something to you that reflects back to a point in your life where you felt you had to address who you really were in order to start to kind of thrive again in this bold world so i feel like one the key i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it to two to two books two books okay, really that helps. so one was atomic habits by james clear um yeah. i read that um so i'd actually come back from i'd come back from i'd been i'd been to rehab the beginning of 2022 and i've been there for i've been in thailand for about two months 
right. like burnout and, and like depression and just kind of just okay. struggling with things really basically I came back and I got into I got into therapy again and then my therapist recommend, recommended me it um, right. and then also my friend my friend at the time uh, he also recommended it as well and basically with that book it's so strange because I think a lot of the time in life Mm. recently in life I feel like there's a lot of things that my parents have told me which I ignored and I like, got annoyed about when I was like 11 10 years old <laughs> like oh. so yeah I was like oh they're just talking shit or they didn't know what they're talking about but basically with atomic habits it, it basically just breaks down in terms of creating habits how to build just muscle memory and building environments and gearing environments to mm. control and then using that to basically help yourself and manage things um, and with that, it's just kind of, it gave me a complete new perspective on how I balance and manage my life. And it was really, really great. It was revolutionary for me wow, because yeah. it kind of just, um, it really, it consolidated all the work that I'd kind of understood, done by myself and understood when I went to Thailand. But it really helped kind of just put everything into perspective and like mm. how to create a habit, how to sustain the habit and how to reward myself mm. and then how to learn because I think one of the biggest things is that with that book it kind of taught me how to learn and unlearn and I think That's unlearning is one, one of the biggest things I've personally experienced yeah. in my life so far is in terms of a lot of the conditioning or things that I thought to myself that were normal or mm. yeah this is how this how things are right it doesn't always have to be that way and okay. I think because of my previous perspective of how I've looked at things yeah to be able to be like oh wait no, I can't control this. And some things I have to let go of and mm. understanding that. Um, yeah. Atomic habits is great for that. It's like, I, I recommend it to, I recommend it to everyone, even if they don't feel as if they kind of suffer or like, feel like they're having a tough time mental health. I feel it's just a great book because yeah. Yeah. Like again, one of those annoying things parents to say like practice makes perfect, but really and truly it does. It's like mm. another thing in the book is it talks about even if you get 0.01% better each day, that's progress. Yeah. And it's like, you can, I apply that to everything in terms of, you know, sometimes I feel like, ah, oh, I'm not really feeling too creative, but at least if I open my laptop and try and do something, yeah. that's me attempting to rather than me not doing anything and maybe being distracted or doing something which I'm not meant to do. The same thing with the gym. It's like, ah, oh, you know, yeah. if you go to the gym, even if you go for 15 minutes, that's better than not going at all. Yeah. And the momentum that you create, it then builds. And then that momentum, it's like, the energy kind of, it doesn't dissipate, it kind of spreads and spreads and grows stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, so interesting. It's so interesting all your learning. So how, what, you know, where were you at that point though, conductor, when you were hitting rock bottom? Is that the first time you've been to rehab? And, that was my first time. And I, what, I felt, um, where were like, you in that place though? What was going on at that point? So to give more context, in terms of, I've, like, I've suffered with depression. I suffered with depression like most of my life, from as long as I can remember, basically. Did, but did you? And were you aware that it was depression? One hundred percent. I was definitely aware. I'd had like a, I'd say I'd had like my first, my first real breakdown was maybe twenty eighteen. So at that time, I kind of struggled. I was in was in a record deal. Nothing was going to plan. I was drinking a lot, doing drugs, like partying, just just kind of like I was living kind of aimlessly. Yeah, I was unhappy, but didn't care about being unhappy. I was kind of just wallowing, and right. I was getting to a point where I felt I just felt really, really low. So then I had kind of I picked myself up a bit, but I didn't really. I hit bottom, but it was like there was a deficit. So okay. I kind of like, if if we say this is a petrol tank, yeah, I put in like water just to fill the tank, just Got so it. there was something in there. But I hadn't yeah. like 
I'm not running, I can't run off water. So that no. little bit of 20% of oil there at the bottom yeah. was still, if anything, it was getting worse because it was like emulsion with the water. Mm. So then everything's becoming like completely tanked. Such a great but, analogy. That is such a great analogy because that is so often how we can all feel and we are just flooding our tank for water and not putting the actual petrol in. And Exactly. And that's where you start to kind of, I guess that's where you start to feel like you're hitting rock bottom and that uh, there's a 100%. crossroads. And did it so all then, blow up? Did it blow up? Was there a moment where it just went poof? Well, basically, so I got to the end of my, I got to the end of the tour in 20, it was post. So it was the first time like kind of back outside for like DJ shows in terms of in the pandemic. I just released music and I was working on the project, but I was kind of stressing myself to work to get this project done in the right way. I'd just done a string of all night long shows, very intensive. And I was kind of just felt like I was debasing myself and I was having problems with like relationships and just, I had problems with my parents and I was struggling with a lot of stuff like kind of just behind the scenes and going on in general. And I kind of just felt at this breaking point in terms of I really couldn't really, I didn't want to exist. I could have felt like, I think what was sadder is that I kind of, I looked at each day and was like, you know, if something was to happen to me or something happened, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't feel anything. I, would, I didn't really care. Oh, that's I so no sad. Kind of, I had no value. I didn't feel as if, um, I just couldn't, I kind of felt done, but I felt what was worse about that sort of feeling done was that I was just going through the motions. Yeah. And I, felt like I knew that I was in a really, really bad spot. Can I ask, Conductor, so, did anyone looking in on you could see that? Or do, did they see you kind of flying high, gigging all the time, being out and about still? Was it presumed that you're okay or were people starting so, to worry? I think this is where, this is where the kind of talking about and the transparency comes in because I feel as if, particularly with, I think everyone has that pressure to kind of um, mm. document how like great things are. And like, yeah. with Instagram, you only see like 0.1% of someone's day or like what's really going on. And I feel like with artists, it's even, it's an even bigger pressure because you're in yeah. the public eye. You know, I'm not going to be like, oh, hey, my show is really shit. Like, duh, 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 duh. like I'm not yeah. gonna, I was feeling really shit before the show or blah, blah, blah. Um, but um, no, from the outside in, I think my inner, my inner sanctum and, and circle knew what was going on because I was that was clearly different and I wasn't behaving as I would usually mm. would. But again, I had to kind of put on the facade and the mask that a lot of people have, a lot of people have to do. I think when I kind of finally like broke, it was good that I'd had the support. Again, I'll say their names in terms of Claire and um, Claire and Ian. Claire yeah. was like kind of stepped in. She kind of, she basically, my, I basically call her my, my stepmom, my white mom, to be honest. <laughs> She's my best friend's mom, but I, yeah, I feel like a son to her and, she had recommended somewhere that her husband had gone basically and me and Ian, um, Ian, who's like past now, but Ian, me and Ian were very similar in terms of our brains and how, how we worked. And when he had gone to the particular center in, in Thailand, he had, it changed him and he kind of had like, it, it worked. Um, and I was very close to Ian and even throughout the pandemic when I kind of struggled and was on antidepressants for a bit, right. he also really helped me in that period. So for me, it was like, cool. I've realized it's really bad. It's not sustainable. It's weird. I think there's a beauty in desperation. Yeah. At this point, I actually wanted to get better. So I actually was actively trying to get better. I think what's interesting is that, to be honest, rehab was the best and the worst thing for me. I think the best thing in terms of I learned all these tools, I think I'd gone 28, 29 years, just kind of like learning on the fly. As mo again, yeah. most people do, to be honest. Yeah. I think for me, it was the kind of like, I'd kind of got this understanding of, I need to understand my actual self and understand mm. what I need to do to kind of actually have a life that I value and is worth living and creating an environment which I can kind of, I can kind of prosper from. 
But then again, I love that, by the way, an environment that you can prosper from. Yeah, yeah. So, so important, though, isn't it? Because we don't think that way until well, until we need to, until something usually. Exactly, it's the, beauty of that, it's the beauty of desperation. Because again, this is the thing: it's one thing acknowledging that these those tools you. It's, so there's a few stages. Yeah, it's acknowledging that the tools you had before were wrong, unlearning yeah. them. Two, it's like cool, you're aware of these tools, but then again, you had the tools. Yeah, you've got to use them right, and you have to like be able to. Acquire them, update them, and like just use them in different contexts. We always say in this podcast, you've got to do the work. Um, If you're not, if you're not going out into the world, and you, you know, you're behind a book or you're behind whatever, you know, you're hiding yourself. That when you go out in the world, all these things are going to come back at you again, whether you like it or not. Exactly. You have to learn in those moments how you want to react and how you deal with yourself, and that's where your learning kicks in. But it's it's not easy. I'm sure you found. No, 100%. And that's where the book came in because I'm not at Thailand going five miles per hour. Like, I've watched mm. that into the real world. And it was a real adjustment, to be honest. I feel as Can if imagine. a lot of things I'd forgotten how to do. I feel like I'd forgotten how to actually, like, produce, to create. Right. I feel like I'd forgotten how to, like, kind of, not interact, but kind of get back up to speed with things, get back into pace with stuff. How did that feel, though? You went from, from sounding like you had a really great experience in Thailand. I guess your energy levels were brought down. You learned a lot. And so, then you had to gear yourself back up to what, basically stepping back into the lion's den that caused these problems of why you're in Thailand. I think what was interesting is like, I think going back to what I say in terms of Thailand being the best and the worst thing, I'd acquired all these tools, but then also what it kind of showed me was that again, I, this is a unique experience to me, but it kind of showed me that I didn't ever want to be back in that position again, which I think is good. Yeah. But also, yeah, I didn't enjoy like, the first two or three weeks was a struggle. Like I was there for about six weeks or so and I got COVID just before. Right. So I had to be in isolation and I had to be in like a hotel room, like this uh, tiny, uh, like a bit as well. So yeah. all this stuff was going on, right? When I was there, a lot of the people, so you have people, we were separated by people who were going through like mental health, people were going through addiction and then we'd mix and we'll have meetings and stuff. And before you would leave, you'd have a recovery plan. So I'd drawn up this recovery plan and the recovery plan basically, um, I wish actually, because it's, it's, in, it's in Stockholm um, with my partner, but with the recovery plan, what it was was that I'd had, it was all about balance and I kind of put life into a seat. I put life into me DJing. So I'd had the mixer and crossfader here. I'd have one deck here and the other deck here. So in one deck, there would be work and in one deck, there would be life. Mm. And what I would do is put these different kind of things I'd need to do and categorize it. So in life, it would be, okay, setting boundaries between family, doing this, um, making more time to be outside in nature, X, Y, and Z. And mm. those are one CD. So then on the other CD, it'd be work boundaries and it'd be saying no to things, not overworking myself, balancing stuff, scheduling, se- just little things in my life. Yeah. Little nuance is that basically would make thing. And yeah. all it was about, the mixer would be here and it's just about balancing both tracks and getting I the volume that. right, getting the bass right. Da, da, da. And at the top corner, basically, because again, I realized that my life in terms of my day to day, my schedule, again, I can't have or be quite infrequent. But I had set times were just that I had like three kind of like main things, which I would kind of make sure I would try and do two hours of being outdoors like every day when I can, basically yeah. when possible. It would be journaling, um, creative writing and therapy. And those are the four things. Oh, in terms my of God, my- you're like the model student. That was my, that was my set times. So then I kind of had it. and then in the other corner, we'd had, um, so I'd had alcohol and I'd had the drink spilling on the decks. Stuff is gonna stuff is gonna happen, but it's not lo- it's not losing sight of that. So it's like when was living my truth and being honest. 
understanding rejection. So the insecurity just in there is in rejection. Stop to, to stop people pleasing, stop satisfying others. Kind of being open to the fact that me as a person, I'm quite emotional. I'm quite mm. sensitive. So like knowing that it's inevitable that I might have an emotional relapse. Remembering yeah. that I can clean the decks. I just have to go back, hit a new track, and then get back to it, basically. And again, like, without sounding very, like, simplistic or boiling it down, that was just kind of how I, like, made it work for me, basically. Because, again, I'd seen loads of other people do recovery plans. Yeah. And they all kind of had, like, the standard. Again, not knocking them. They just Everyone did it in a different yeah, way. Yeah, I agree. Them. And again, I think it goes back to, of course, everyone's way out of a situation yeah. is t- has to be tailor-made to them. But I think a lot of there can be parallels between a lot of the stuff that many of us go through, basically. Um, I think it's such a good I think it's such a good analogy that you've actually drawn there, because like you say, we often just read, you know, a book and think, oh, that I'll just take that as it is. Or no, that doesn't work for me. And then that's that's the end of people's journeys. Often they get, you know, put off by it. And it's like, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about self-development, a spiritual journey, you know, personal growth. And it's like not for me. I think especially men struggle with that even more. And it's amazing to hear hear you speak like that, but also to give other people listening that kind of idea that, yes, you can take the information and then then apply it to you and your life and your own language and make sure that makes sense because this is something that you're living with every day now. This is your, like... Yeah, it's my day-to-day. Like, it's literally my day-to-day. And I think, again, a good thing, a great thing about Thailand and rehab is that it inspired me because of the good things and the bad things that happened there, there were some things which weren't so great in terms of not actually just my experience, but also like how things are run. It kind of inspired, it it really motivated me to kind of want to create my own center at one point. So at the moment, one of the the big things, one of my, basically my end goal and when I will feel as if I've completed or content, my next goal is basically to create a kind of um, center for, at least begin like my kind of own practice in terms of helping other musicians and stuff and people others who suffer with like depression basically or de- or like all problems of addiction um so that's my goal basically to kind of create yeah a rehab or a kind of a center for creatives to kind of understand and use this as like the ethos or like manifest yeah. and kind of do to, to, to kind of see things and yeah apply that basically so i try to like i'm trying to i need to make time <laughs> uh, I downloaded like a few courses and stuff. Yeah. Like, I had some courses online to kind of like, understand counseling, basically, because I saw that in terms of going into psychotherapy, I know it takes quite a long time. It's yeah. quite a long, it's quite intense, basically. And I think that in terms of the meantime, I can kind of just learn like some like, yeah. basic stuff, some like kind of just some like light theory to add theory to my experience, basically to add theory to the experience rather than just kind of speaking off experience. Um, mm. and then like, articulate particular things like for what they are rather than just kind of like using my analogies all the time and actually understanding things in particular but yeah I, again like back to what you said in terms of the book and how like so go full circle yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd finally hit I think I'd finally hit that rock bottom which I needed to hit basically um and again not something I, I, I wish I wish no one hit rock bottom but yeah. I think everyone needs that moment of oh wait what am I doing or like kind of they really mm. need to question themselves and really reevaluate everything so again, like environment wise, again, circling back to one of the other, I think the one of the questions got lost in this. Sorry. I feel like no, I'm no, no. This has been great. Um, in terms of what did I do in terms of I came back? So again, I just kind of just applied the recovery plan basically and put it into practice. Um, I moved from London um, and then I was back and forth between Stockholm and London in terms of I was in London for work and Stockholm yeah. was the perfect big city for me in terms of it's not too busy. It's close enough proximity to the UK and like the rest of Europe. 
but then I get to kind of be with nature, be outside. I remember when I actually came back, it's, it was snowing. It was like minus four degrees and like thick, thick snow. But I just went to the woods and got lost for like two or three hours in terms of just like enjoying nature. Amazing. Being like, just like at peace of stuff. And there was loads of things at Thailand. I kind of like, we would often do um, activities in terms of like going out and like being in nature. And one of these things that I, one of the things I still do now is whenever I'm just going for a walk or I'm like still, I just kind of train my ears to see what's the furthest thing I can hear away from me. Mm. So I can hear, so like now I'd be like, okay, I can hear the train. I can hear like a car. Oh, it. And when yeah. I can hear maybe like a bird and just training my senses and to be like in touch with just everything, my bre- my breathing, mm. my hearing, my smell, my touch, my stillness. That's how you're starting to retrain your brain as well. It's, it's, it's trying- unlearning stuff. Unlearn- like not always yeah. listening to music all the time or not even like not always consuming something or being on Netflix. Again, these are small things and what applied to me in terms of grounding myself because it was all about grounding. Mm. And, you know, some people found like meditation. Some people find meditation quite hard. Yeah. Like, if you it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't for me. But I have other techniques, other things that I can kind of formulate into me that kind of give me that grounding to be able to do my day-to-day or deal with, like, for example, the schedule that I'm doing yeah. now. I'm able to kind of... I wouldn't have been able to... It's crazy because I'm busier than I've ever been and I would have capitulated. I wouldn't have been able to get to this point that I'm at now. Oh, my God. I love you saying this. If I'd been in the same mindset now, you know, like as I was telling you before, I was in L.A. on Tuesday. I played a show and did a talk that same day and then had a festival yesterday, Hmm. another show tomorrow and a show on Sunday. And you're doing this podcast in between at 6 o'clock on a Friday. (laughs) I feel feel fine. You know what I mean? I feel completely like I feel at ease. I feel balanced. I feel... As if I'm not overworking or debasing myself just to do things, I feel as if I feel at ease and I feel grounded, and God, I know I, that yeah. I can prioritize when I need to rest and when I don't need to rest and when I need to do something when I don't need to do something. You just—I literally want to high five you through the screen <laughs> <laughs> because I—I've I, taken some things out of my life this year. You know, just drinking. I mean, I, I'm not—I'm not sober or at all, but I yeah. don't drink anywhere near what I do. My husband actually teetotal. Um, oh, really? Yeah, he's in East London. Um, you know, he'd t- he'd tell you the same if he was here. You know, he's a- always been a party boy, really into yeah. his garage music and that scene. And yeah, he he went teetotal last year, and that journey has been so interesting because you know because we live together, I've kind of been on his journey because yeah. I don't need to drink. I'm not alcohol doesn't like draw me in in that sense. I've subsequently just drank a lot lot less, and I've probably had to date so far, touch wood, the best year I've had. Yeah. for a long time and I, I don't want to keep saying to people I think it's because I'm not drinking much but I'm like it definitely is there's, there's not there's like <laughs> the correlation, I, strong this correlation is really like that. <laughs> yeah and I'm waking up earlier you know like yeah. 5.30 6 like these early times for me like I'm getting more done just exactly what you've said and nobody likes to admit that you know nobody likes to admit like you wouldn't you know when you're in that space of imploding and you know you're hitting what bottom people don't want to admit and they have you have to admit to yourself before you know you can get the help and move forward so I've felt in that enlightenment because you know probably last year if somebody said to me on a Friday or even on a Thursday any time past like five o'clock or four o'clock even I'd be like well no I'm going to be in the pub or yeah 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 it's all of that language comes out and you're you're suddenly operating on a higher frequency level everything you're saying kind of just goes back to environment and like what's mm. around me. For me, 
I stopped drinking at shows. I've stopped drinking at shows for about two or so years because what I found was, again, my life, which just wasn't sustainable. If I'm playing like three shows a week mm. and I'm having like, I've just got al- bottles of alcohol. And again, I don't really like drinking like that, but because it's there and access to it, you're like, cool, let me have a yeah. drink. And then it just becomes natural and then it becomes a habit. And it's like, ah. Oh. So for me, when I came out of the pandemic, it was like, okay, cool. I just didn't really feel like it. And then, you know, sometimes when my friends or my partner comes, it's like, cool, I'll get like, drink, like, yeah. like my festival rider, my like club rider. My club rider is literally like water ginger shots and like pomegranates and pomegranate <laughs> i uh, mean did you ever imagine you know when you stepped into the music scene let's go back to you when you were you grew up in bristol didn't you so i grew up in i grew up yeah. in bristol so um what yeah. happened you know you're you you're like looking for life you know you're looking at your future you're going to be this incredible guy you're going to be mover and shaker in music and then you know then we find ourselves you know where you are today <laughs> It, it's, it's it's like it's life's plan but it doesn't show you, you can do all of it you know you can be grounded and still produce and work in that industry because when you're younger you just think well i'm too cool I for that i think there's two things for me i think there's two i think they're quite beautiful things about it i think one because i never saw not in a, I, I, don't, I really don't mean this in a bleak way, but I could never envision myself past like the next three or so years. I didn't wow. understand it. Like I didn't really, and again, just a perspective. Yeah. I didn't really think long term in terms of, uh, will I be doing this or what will I be doing? Right. But then on, a, on the other side of that, I think that's what makes everything so beautiful in terms of everything that's happening that is so good is good because I never dreamt it or I never imagined it. Like I'm mm. able to have goals and stuff, but there's particular things, you know, I never thought I'd be able to, Every day when I have a show and I'm flying and I'm not able that people like booking me and coming to see me and stuff like I'm just had this like this I had this real feeling of gratitude and I didn't have that I really didn't have gratitude or appreciation right. for I'm not actually crying by the way this is my hair fever <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I never had that appreciation or gratitude for not just the big things but the small things in life I feel as if again sometimes I get asked in terms of it's so great like you get to do what you do what you like love as a living you like mm. you travel. And you play all your shows across the world. But I think for me, the best thing actually about it is the small things. I think the people and the connections that you that I'm, I make and meet, whether it be like Uber drivers or like just like the people who are like dropping me back and forth and meeting yeah. promoters and meeting different people and just connecting with them. I think that's the best moment. That's the thing that keeps it going, to be honest. It doesn't, that energy can, it doesn't dissipate. It kind of yeah. like, Again, like all like kind of electrons like bubbling around and like knocking off each other, and I feel as if I just feel super, super appreciative and, gra- yeah. and like immense gratitude that once I hit where I hit, I was able to kind of then begin to see the best way forward to kind of like function and kind of sustain stuff. Because, like you said, people think that being happy is the easiest thing when actually you have to put in work to want to yeah. like be happy. It takes work. It's not just something that goes like that. You have to. Yeah. You want to be able to do the things and get an environment around you or can like do things which can allow you to enjoy yeah. the thing that you have. What was your environment like growing up? So my environment was, I had three younger sisters. I was the eldest. I had my mum and my dad. Mum and my dad were like together, still together now, just about, I guess. There was just a lot of pressure in terms of my parents didn't support me doing music. So it was always a thing of, you know, you should do this or do that. And I always kind of struggled with this duality of, yeah. You know, my parents have worked so hard for me. You know, they've moved me from like a state school to a private school to give me the best education. They want me to do X, Y, and Z, the first generation immigrants. You know, I owe them this. I owe, yeah. I, I owe them. Naturally, I owe them. I've told, I think I've told this story before. Like I've said, basically, there was a moment where, because I also played football, and then it was maybe, it would have been, oh, what year would it have been? 2013, 2014. 
Yeah. Um, his parents, Yaya Torre, got like a 200 grand a week contract for Man City. And then my dad said, oh, if I knew football was going to pay this boy, I would have pushed you. I would have pushed you harder. <laughs> at that point, I was like, all right, cool. Oh, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of just was like, cool. And then from there, I just, you know. Um, but again, like, my dad really understands. Me and my dad have a great relationship now. He understands things. And again, cool. there was no love lost in terms of, I understood from a parent's point of view, just a mistranslation of love. Yeah. Even though there were times that we wouldn't communicate or we were kind of estranged and stuff, I got it because for them it was like they'd done this and their translation of that was love, but they needed their love language or what they needed as yeah. like an appreciation was for me to follow through on what they were kind of projecting me. Oh, and again, yeah. I wasn't able to follow through the way they wanted to Yeah. in terms of being able to treat my dad. Like I took him to go and meet Arsene Wenger like last year and like he's a massive, well, we're both massive Arsenal fans. Yeah. And like he said like, one touching thing he said was that that's made all my years in England. Like he said that. So like, that was that kind of, you know, job done kind of thing. <laughs> so you, yeah, again, I, well feel blessed that, I feel blessed that even yeah. me and him get to that stage when it's just something that I never, if you told me like 13 or four, like when I was 13 or 14 and my dad would be proud of me, I would have been like, oh no, that's not going to, like, I don't see, I don't see how that's, how that's going to, how that's possible, how that's going to mm. happen. But again, like in terms of like, humanizing him and understanding like the relationship and the dynamics understanding myself yeah we're able to a great place um so yeah I, again I, I just i find i try and find gratitude and i think now people often say you know you're smiling and stuff and i've always been smiling and stuff but the smile has always, has always been a mask but i feel like now when i'm smiling and stuff is because i'm genuinely feeling in a good space like i feel great that's amazing isn't it because everyone does hide behind the smile and yeah everyone's got that mask everyone yeah. has a mask yeah, and it's breaking down barriers. Have you found since you've found yourself in this in this new journey you're on? Have you found that you you've now helped others and you've unleashed a new community of people around you? Have you managed to step in because the music industry is known for being, you know, obviously incredibly good fun and, you know, drink and drugs just go hand in hand. And this is you... a lemonade, by the way, not a mojito. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, oh, I'll <laughs> <laughs> like one of those. Um, have you found that, you know, there's people hiding behind the speakers who, you know, who are trying not to drink and they're like, oh, thank God, somebody's like out, been out and they've now out, helped me come out and I actually don't want to be doing this anymore and can you help me? Like, or... Hiding behind the speakers is a great analogy. It's a very good analogy. I think I'm gonna, I'm actually going to take that and use that <laughs> okay. for when I say stuff now. I think what's interesting is that, so I felt like one of my aims this year, this year in particular, was to be a bit more transparent. Yeah. You know, sometimes I might not have good shows. Then I might just say on my story, hey guys, sorry I didn't have the energy. I felt tired, but I hope you enjoyed the show. Yeah. And I feel like it just comes from having the conversation. A lot of like the interviews and stuff I'm doing now, I'm kind of like not feeling so restricted to talk, kind of talk about my experience. I think this is the other thing that I've kind of learned of not having that kind of being anchored down by like, you know, like the word rehab is a heavy word. Like, you know, yeah. no one wants to be like 28 and like, you know, telling people, yeah. even I would I'd feel kind of, I'd feel kind of a weight of like, ah, oh, you know, and people would kind of like judge me, but I was like, there's nothing to judge. And I feel great. Like there's nothing no, to judge. own it. Yeah. Just own um, it. Exactly. So mm. I think for me in terms of the next year or so, I feel like I just want to kind of spearhead or just begin the conversation of a dialogue for like, yeah, I've done like a, I did another thing. I did another, I did an interview about talking about loneliness whilst touring and stuff. And that was kind of interesting where I kind of touched right. on my experience in terms of touring and um, how That's sometimes it can actually trying to, again, getting to know yourself and something that I've been able to do now in terms of coming to terms of being able to connect with people and like manage, manage touring. But again, I feel as if it's an interesting thing because 
I think with there's a lot of things again, not to make this completely about alcohol and stuff, but I think yeah, especially in British culture, yeah, drinking is kind of a pastime, and because it's so ingrained within kind of culture and especially within nightlife, I think there also there is a there's a sentiment of people. I think within England, people don't drink. The drinking isn't just to relax; it's to kind of get to let loose or to get to a particular point. Yeah. I, I realize that again. My experience that I realize that people like to drink. Their their intentions for drinking yeah. can be questioned, basically, and I think that mm-hmm. also affects things because, really and truly, again, when I'm with when I'm out or when I'm having dinner cool, I can have like a drink like just in that moment and it'd be fine. But I don't feel the need to drink whilst I'm working, basically. Yeah. Um, oh, so you've managed, to, you've managed to actually, you're not sober, so to speak, but you've managed to like c- take control of when you can drink and when it's not working. Yeah, because I feel, like for, I feel like for me is that, to be honest, I'm a sweet tooth. Like cocktails I love. I don't really like, <laughs> like beers and like, or, like wines and stuff. I kind of like, I like them, but I, I don't really cocktails care. Cocktails isn't really drinking. It's <laughs> sugar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see, I, lo- I love a good drink like I you know like needs to be made correctly and that's what I really like the rituals of it yeah like, yeah yeah yeah. so yeah. yeah cocktail guy I'm sorry but <laughs> it's just no but like for example it's like I, I understand the ritual the ritualistic side of it and I think that's the thing is the like there's a ritualistic side of yeah you, know, you get your ride and then cool da, da, da. but I, yesterday for example I heard a festival and I I, re- I realized I was like, oh, yeah, of course, it's like a festival. So they've got my festival rider. So it's like, there was like wine and um, like uh, mezcal and like beers and stuff. And I just like handing out to the crowd. I was like, oh, does anyone yeah. want a beer kind of thing? And like, I, 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 I just didn't, I didn't feel like it because I just didn't have the time. I just feel detached from it. Like, I, I didn't feel any need. Um, I still want to, basically. Like, and then no. when, I, when I'm like, again, I think it's all about the person knowing themselves. Some people, to total works so or like not drinking at all is the right thing for them kind of thing. Yeah. And like, I think this is the thing we need to, there needs to be a kind of a natural discussion, but a normalization, because I think the other thing is, is that sometimes when you tell people, oh yeah, I'm, like, I'm not drinking. Like, oh, what's wrong? Yeah, like, I know. Okay? And immediate, like there's some kind of, it's either that or they project, ah, oh, they try and normalize or project or kind of rationalize themselves drinking. They feel like, worse now. They feel worse yeah. basically. And there's a kind of like, they feel because when you don't cave into the peer pressure, they then yeah. feel like, oh, oh, you lose that kind of thing. It feels like you're like in school again kind of thing, which I find quite it, interesting. Have you ever done the, um, have you ever been into AA? No, I haven't done any AA, no. Well, part of your kind of like development, and I, I would really like recommend you jumping in. It's, I've, I've been as part of like, you can go as kind of like a guest sort of thing, yeah. because obviously I still drink, so I, I definitely can't contribute, but yeah. <laughs> It blew my mind, and we've spoken about it a few times on this podcast, but if there ever is a, a piece of work that is magical between two humans, is sitting in the format of AA. I had Sadie Frost on the podcast as well recently, oh, wow. yeah, and yeah. she talks about AA. It's something like I can't even like explain it fully to you until you're in the room, and, you know, there's, first of all, you've got different age groups in there. There's no judgment, so it's not about you telling me something and me, like, feeding back at all. I don't, you know, we, we, they don't offer that feedback. And they're there for a shared for a shared sort of experience of them all trying to do this one thing together. 
Um, and to be able to do that, the biggest thing is finding your higher self. For sure. And I think for me, like when you look across the board at self-development and help and all these practices people are trying to do and change, that's one of the oldest in the book and people have yeah. been using it and it's successful. It doesn't yeah. need a phone. It doesn't need a computer. It doesn't need a book. It doesn't, it doesn't really require much, but for you yeah. just to be present and, you I know, want you to work. It, yeah, and it, it really, I guess for, for me, it kind of, it goes back to that learning. It's like, why can't we take that out of that situation and start applying this to everybody's lives? Because actually it's so valuable. And, you know, it's, it's kind of sounding like a bit like you're on that journey of like, you're finding your higher self at the moment and you know what's serving you and what's not. And you've got that kind of guiding light now, which is 100% strong. And again, this isn't to say... For example, one thing I've been really struggling with recently, and I guess this leads into this. I mean, if you circle back to the first thing of like things that inspire me. So my friend, yeah. Callum, Callum Jacobs, he, he has a book called A New Formation, How Black Footballers Shape the Modern Game. And this book was like the first book. As long as I can remember, like I read the intro and it actually made me cry. And there were a few oh. reasons why it actually made me cry. I don't know if it's because one, he's like my friend and he's written it. Yeah. I don't know how succinct it kind of, it was able to articulate things in the back of my brain that I didn't, I kind of acknowledged, but didn't really understand. And he kind of formulated in a way I was like, whoa, it blew my mind. And again, he kind of contextualized the Thatcher years of football and in terms of race relations and how things were in the UK, but also in terms of relating it to football. And it was just, it was amazing. And Callum actually, he, he really helped me kind of, one thing I thought that I've kind of struggled with, and again, like I feel like a lot of people kind of go through it, is that kind of, with sense of self, but like their body image and how they perceive and how they perceive themselves. Yeah. And one thing I would always stress about is like, oh, you know, like my hair or like having a shape up or do 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 or like kind of this obsession with because I feel as if I'm in the public eye, yeah. how I'm perceived or how I'm judged will be different. And then I kind of again, me and Callum to cut a long story less long. We've always been going back and forth in terms of because um, he doesn't he just he doesn't he doesn't cut his hair. Um, right. He's like man in his hats and stuff, and he was like. Because I've always been, this, I've been like, oh, you know, should I go Turkey? Should I just get the hair transplant and bust it? And then like, feel good. <laughs> da, da. But I was like, but to be honest, even when I've had like, I had hair, like I've had like, like hair and I've had like blonde hair and stuff. I was like, I still felt a particular way about my appearance. So why is that? Why? Let me get mm. to the root of why Interesting. am I so low? Yeah. You know, difference. I would have hair, but still yeah. have kind of appearance, kind of deficit, this confidence deficit. So then I kind of just, it kind of then went down to, I would always cut my hair because I would be, I would believe that that would allow others to perceive me in a better light. Ah. So then you can see what the issue is. The confidence deficit is from me caring about what other people think and how I perceive in terms of the eyes of other people, because I'm being judged by people, one, who don't look like me or Mm. people who I don't kind of resonate with. So I'm like, oh, I need to like smarten up. I need to do this. So like everything would be thin. But what's crazy is that, regardless of the shape up or what clothes I'm, I wear, I'm still kind of judged however I'm judged. But for me, what it's, I've kind of come to this realisation is, is that yeah. that confidence deficit, again, going back to the oil in the water and stuff, I can get a shape up and it can fit water in the tank and stuff. I can do all that thing and do everything like that. But really the self-esteem and confidence comes from within. And it was me realising that everything I've been able to achieve, I've been able to achieve that even without really thinking that I've had that confidence. I've been able to do it. So there's no reason why my appearance or me not shaving my beard or me not having a lineup or anything should contribute to how I should feel my confidence or my ability to interact yeah. with people do things. But again, like 
people, I'm sure there's loads of people who struggle with that every day in terms of yep. feeling that they need to feel like confident or to stem confidence. But, and again, I'm in like, this is like day, this is day six of like this mantra of me actually internalizing this. So I'm going to slowly and slowly get there. But again, it's something that I've kind of struggled with for a while, but I've had this yeah. great understanding of like, you know, I can be confident. I'm able to speak. I like speaking. I can kind of hold conversations. Yep. I can engage people. I can create. I can do these things. And that deficit of confidence, again, like, circling back to, so I was in Miami, right? Um, yeah. I was on, on tour in Miami. And, like, I was just like, realizing, I was like, shit, everyone looks good. Like, objectively, like, the guys look good. The girls look good. And I was like, shit, I need to go to the gym. I'm like, I'm, I feel like mad skinny. I feel like really insufficient. And then yeah. I was like, but why did I feel insufficient? Why is that deficit there? Mm. And then even if I started going to the gym and started doing X, Y, and Z, one mind, I know, I know I could go to the gym, go into the gym, get to a particular thing and still feel like, oh, it's not perfect mm. because I'm facing something. Yeah. So for me, it was kind of understanding, no, I don't need to feed this confidence, de- confidence deficit. I need to feel happy and like love all elements mm. of myself, not just my thinking, but kind of be at peace, know what I can control, know what I can't control. And then do stuff to kind of nurture and kind of, in addition to how I feel, then make myself feel good, not because of the aesthetic or physically how I might feel, just kind of stimulating and growing my mind and making my mind look good. Yeah. Face, basically. Did that, it, did that come on for you over a number of years and when you sort of grow in the music industry or has that sort of been with you since you were, you know, since you were a sort of teenager? I think since I was a teenager, to be honest, I think, I think appearancing has definitely been me since, since a teenager. Yeah. But I think it's just because of the lens. I feel like the lens that I've kind of like, I grew up in, where I grew up in Bristol and at like the schools I went to in terms of like mainly white schools, I was like maybe like one of like five like black kids in terms of like being around I feel like how you're perceived and how you conduct yourself, excuse the pun, um, (laughs) in terms of like, you're just very conscious of it. So for me, it was kind of, again, this is 20 years of like understanding and work. Again, I've got to this point and I hope now it's like a springboard for me understanding. And again, I hope there's other people who can kind of, you know, listen to this and kind of be like, oh, shit, I resonate with that. Even if it's like a five seconds of this or that, everything that I've said, it might be nonsense, but there might be a part where it's like, oh, you know, I actually relate. There's a parallel here. Or I understand or I feel exactly the same. Mm. I think there's like a, there's like a wall. There's a wall of silence, particularly within like, a, I think the music, within creatives or entertainment yeah. of not speaking about particular things because you think that it may harm opportunities or you think they're going to be oh, yeah. viewed in a particular way because, oh, you don't do that. So you're not part of the group now or, ah, oh. do you know what I mean? And I feel yeah, like- Yeah, I do. Yeah, absolutely. Have you and like get rid of that and just have- open dialogue and a conversation that's like half the battle basically mm. and i think having this type of conversation is quite hard in our industry you know i i have an agency as well that, you know i work in the media industry i have done for years and i kind of cro- straddle two worlds yeah. i straddle you know not dissimilar your kind of industry plus the wellness side and it's my yin and yang and yeah I discovered at 29, you know, nearly 10 years ago now, that I needed to find that. And I was forced to ask those questions. With that comes life choices. And I think what often happens and kind of what you're sort of describing is is also making sure that the decision to look good, if you want to spend more time in the gym, because, yes, maybe you do need to be a bit healthier. Maybe you do need to, like, smarten up. Maybe that is a prerequisite of where you are. But that might be not something that that suits you right now because you're building or you're making music or there's another focus. I think often we try and do everything all at the same time and yeah. that suddenly starts to spin your head. hundred percent. 
And then you start on that trajectory and before you know it, 10 years has passed and you're like, okay, I need help. This is got yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be perfect. And I, and I don't know what it's like for you. It's, it's like social media or, you know, peer pressure, all those things that surround culture today just kind of adds to that lens of like perfectionism, I'd say. And 100%, 100%. I feel as if now, again, one of my aims is to be more transparent. I played at Sonar last year in Barcelona and before my set, it was really weird because I felt really nervous. And I, there's only maybe three or so times in my career really recently that I've been nervous before a set. Right. And I was like, I didn't know what happened. And I didn't really enjoy the set. And the set was recorded. But to be honest, I thought it was shit. And like the recording went out. And I was like, I didn't even listen back to it. But I was like, hey, guys, I'm going my set is up. I'll be really honest with you. Like, I had an awful time before. I had like, I, was, I kind of thought my set was shit. I didn't really enjoy it. Afterwards, I was fretting about it. Um, and I really didn't enjoy my time. Just so you know, like wow. this is just breaking the this is the this is the four, breaking the fourth wall. This is actually what happened. Like beyond the thank you, Sonar, for the great time. <laughs> I, like you guys are great. <laughs> so I just broke the fourth wall. I was like, hey guys, like just so you know, and like a couple of DJs were like, nah, thank you for doing this. It's like I'm glad it's, it's refreshing that there's like some kind of like transparency. Yeah, cool. This show didn't. This is how you felt about the show. For me now, with social media and stuff, I'm kind of just like, yeah, my aim this year is just to break things down a bit more and not to like kind of like follow the status, follow the status quo of, yeah, everything's rosy. And again, mm. I'm sure you scroll from my Instagram, it's me smiling and stuff, but like I, I do feel genuinely happy. But again, on my stories or like just in general, I yeah. just try and inform. I think that's the thing, it's about information because I think a lot of people in general, but I feel like we're almost over flooded with so much to process and consume. But a lot of what we're consuming, there's not really a disclaimer or an understanding of where that content or where it's actually coming from, what yeah. place it comes from, what the mental space in is that comes from. You know, everyone thinks that, I think that's what's interesting, particularly being a musician or a DJ um, in my field, people sometimes kind of say to us, ah, oh, why are you complaining? You do what you love, you're channeling it there. But it's like, this is again, not to kind of boast or anything, but I don't think 80% of people could kind of do the last three weeks that I've done. I was yeah. in, I, was, I did, I did, I was doing all night long sets across both East Coast and West Coast when I came straight back and did here. And again, I feel great and balanced, but you know, yeah. if I wanted to complain about my schedule, like yeah. fuck you, complain kind of thing, like I'm a human, like the same way you complain about shit there at work. Yeah. I can complain about like work not being good, not being good. I think the difference is, is that there's that, that self-awareness and understanding everyone's threshold or everyone's kind of gauge of, like having having a grievance or feeling sad or feeling mm. unhappy is different. There's no right or wrong when it really comes to feelings. And it's just about understanding that, acknowledging, accepting, and then just, just being more aware. And I think if we're a bit more, without sounding super cliche again, yeah. super, not kind, kind of isn't even a word. I think it's just more understanding and it's just the awareness. Yeah. I think there's, it's, it's the lack of awareness, basically, which is kind of awareness yeah. and tact, which is... Um, I yeah. A lot of people, again, loads of people are suffering, like, especially with everything that's happened in the last yeah. two or three years. People's lives have been turned completely upside down. People have been dealing with immense loss, complete change, um, but then still having to navigate the world at 100 miles per hour. Mm. And it's like, this is unprecedented times. So, you know, with that being said, it would be nice if we could have a bit more compassion for everything that's going on, or everything that everyone might be going through, and just treat each other with a bit more, with a bit more care. And I think Again, having conversations like this, open up the dialogue are like one step in, again, a complete journey because there's no like, there's no end point. Well, yes. you don't know what the end point is. It's just you have to keep going. And I think yeah. that's 
the other thing that previously when I'd been depressed or previously when I'd been going through stuff, I'd be like, cool, I've done this. This is, I'm doing this to get rid of this feeling. Yes, like, that's what I was going to ask you, actually. Because obviously you said you've suffered with depression. So obviously there's going to be points where you maybe have tried some self-development or tried something, I guess. And, and obviously it's not worked. So what, was, what were your reasonings for that? Were you just telling yourself this is a load of, this is a load of shit? I'm, just, I'm fine, just crack on. I think there were a few things. I think one, it was kind of not wanting to unlearn particular things, not wanting to do the work fully. It was kind of half committing. I think yeah. being in therapy was also a really big thing in terms of I was trying to thinking that I could do it myself and I didn't need therapy. Yeah. I went in therapy for about maybe two years now, two years. What year? We're 2023 now. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So since 2021. So yeah, two, two, two years. I think another thing that also contributed to me not, uh, or things not working is as weird as it might sound, I think that depression is an easy crutch. One thing I learned in Thailand is that it's quite easy to kind of have something to rely on or just being like, oh yeah, I'm unhappy. Like, that's, that's how so, I feel. That's and so not interesting. Wanting, not wanting to get better, not wanting the, because mm. you're comfortable. Because it is comfortable to kind of be in this constant state of, you know how you feel, you can do all these things to numb, you don't need to feel anything else. You just kind of... It's kind of feature narrative, doesn't it? Your story is, I have depression, so... I can do this. I can drink this. I can take that. Yeah, because you feel as if oh, I'm in pain or I'm I deserve it. Yeah, I deserve it. Or I need to do this because my mum did this or like this yeah. happened. So I do this X, Y, and Z. And I think that for me personally, for me again, I think that was kind of how that all accumulated because you know I would do I'd have that thing of you know like I'd have like uh, a good like few weeks or a good thing and then just kind of fall back into old habits again. And again, mm. it's why atomic habits back to James clear. It was so good in terms of, you know, feeling like it's the muscle memory it's yeah. understanding in terms of, again, how our brains work and the neuro, the kind of neuroscience behind it in terms of building habits and how long it takes to kind of enforce things. And then once it's enforced, kind of that being set in stone and all of that stuff kind of, yeah, again, Thailand. Atomic so, yeah. habits. So when you were in Thailand, what was your ha-ha moment when you thought the switch has just flicked? I didn't know this about myself. I didn't know I could get to this point. I didn't know I could think like that. Was there anything that... So my nan passed away whilst I was there. Oh, and I hadn't so seen my sorry. nan in. I hadn't seen my nan in maybe... She had really... She had, um, she had Alzheimer's dementia. She was oh, really suffering. And I'm sorry. The last time she actually saw me, I had like blonde hair and she just didn't recognise me. And then I had to put like a photo next to me and she was like, oh, and she said, <laughs> she said yeah, it, yeah it, was a, it was a nice moment. It was a good like last memory I had of her. I had dealt with that. And I think just being away from everything, being away from music, being completely... Not having to go 100 miles per hour, actually having the brakes on and having to like kind of sit with myself sit with my thoughts alone yeah. as much as we can tell ourselves in terms of there's other people around us or you know we have support systems really and truly i'm the only person that can get myself through this and at that moment when i was in thailand i was the only person it wasn't going to be my counselor or therapist mm. it wasn't going to be the two people who were there who like didn't feel like they deserved to be there. It wasn't going to be the person who felt like they were going to be there. It wasn't going to be a partner. It wasn't going to be my mom, my dad, my sisters or anything. It was just the prerogative was with me. And it was one understanding that I had that control. I had the power and I was in, I was, I can make myself feel however I can. If I've made myself feel this depressed or got to my point where I feel as if I don't want to live, that doesn't mean that that clearly means I can get to a point where or at least I know in my brain, I still have the power. Yeah, I had that prerogative and I have the intuition and the ability to drive myself out of it and get myself back there. 
So again, I think my nan passing, being there and mm. having you know deal with that kind of just got me out of the other end feeling stronger basically. It's suddenly that's kind of like your guiding spirit, isn't it? It's that yeah. it's that realization that and it goes back to all the cliches people tell you, you know, life is short, you never know when it's your time, you know. Yeah. When you experience death like that and somebody that you love, and it doesn't matter the age in, in some respects, it's just being able to reflect on those moments and say, well, I've, I'm here, so what am I going to do with the life that I've got? And, you 100%. know, you're forced into that crossroads. You know, you have two options, I guess, at that point that you can decide to do. And the, the, I think the hardest thing about self-development and it's the hardest thing about, you know, going into rehab and, and, and being with a coach or a counsellor, et cetera, is that it does ultimately stop with you. You know, you're the one that has to be willing to change. And that, 100%. I think, is the hardest thing because we all naturally fight it. And I'd rather somebody just take it off my chest. Oh, you just tell me what to do and I'll just do it. And that's yeah. that's not going to work either. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that for me, it was just kind of taking accountability of like, you know, I might have suffered trauma. I might have suffered all of this and this X, Y, and Z might have happened, but, you know, I'm still here and like, I can control my environment, control, you know, I might not be able to control how the environment is, how people, how people act in my environment, but I can control how I take in their presence in my environment and how I respond. Mm. And that was kind of, again, that kind of just grounded me in terms of getting me through Thailand and then navigating as I got back in terms of setting boundaries whether that be with work, whether that be with family, whether it be relationship with my friends, partner, everything. Yeah. Um, it was kind of like, that was the, that was what I needed, basically. So do you have a, like a guiding mantra that you live by at the moment? Just in my recovery plan, to be honest. I feel like my recovery, plan is, my recovery plan is basically my day-to-day and like, you know, the stuff that I just got from Callum in terms of like, kind of just, yeah, letting go of things. I feel like, I think my life is an organised mess in terms of like, it's quite fractured and there's a lot going on. Yeah. I still, I know what's going on and where yeah. it's going on. I just have to like, I'm just like, yeah, this applies to this, this applies to that. But do you, th- do you, th- do you thrive in chaos though? Is that where you're best when it's all there? And as long as you're grounded. I think it's about like that and deadlines. Like I can kind of like pull stuff together and be like, yeah, boom, boom, boom. But um, yeah, I feel like my mantra is just kind of understanding the balance and making sure that I'm just in touch with myself and I'm creating the certain boundaries that I need to and making sure that I'm present and, I think, again, I'm very fortunate to have like got to a position where, you know, I got to a very, very low point. I had to get myself, I had to check myself in to rehab, understand myself, really, really, really taking the kind of severity of where my life was at and then kind of just be not reborn, but just kind of replant the seed and then just trying, now I'm just kind of growing bit by bit and again like you know as like a as like a branch or a tree or a flower grows you know some steps some things some leaves fall off some bits fall off but i still the stalk is still there and i still feel like i'm growing and growing new bits so that's kind of that's how i'm going in terms of life and yeah that's i I feel i feel i feel glad that whatever i grow into that i'll be like i'll be proud at the other end have you learned to love yourself again yeah, bit by bit. I mean, I only discovered that I didn't need to get trims like five days ago. So yeah, <laughs> bit by bit. But um, I feel like confident with my like, within in terms of my communication and like life and how I kind of think and not being so pessimistic and kind of having optimism about things, mm. like actually being, actually being infused about stuff. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I feel like I feel complete at ease and comfortable with myself and I know who I am and who I can be and what I can do. And I think, again, it's just kind of, I think my main aim really is that to just kind of give something back or at least impart yeah. some kind of knowledge or help onto people who 
may have gone through a similar-ish thing or similar things or if worse, like how I can, because everything, yeah, music is, I feel like if leaving an impact on my music is one thing, but I think if I can actually, you know, again, my dad always says that I was wasted being a musician and I could have done so much more. So I feel like, <laughs> That's this, is, um, this is like my other side of like doing more than just like, again, like with music, I obviously give people an experience and people can kind it of- It is a drug in itself, music. Yeah. Um, but I feel as if this side of things in terms of, you know, speaking about yeah. mental health and kind of empowering people and yeah, I feel like that's my, that's the next step in my kind of chapter. Please keep us noted on that because <laughs> becoming more human can be all over that. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> anything, any, anything we can do to help others, I think that's the ultimate in life is to be able to give back and yeah. to support others and to open the conversations Otherwise, we sit in silos and we don't learn and grow. And and for me, if we don't share and tell stories that are real, then, you know, people can't resonate. We've got one last question on this podcast is what does becoming more human mean to you? To me, becoming human, I think, is actually going back kind of like what I was saying in terms of when you ground yourself. I think it's actually becoming at one with all of your senses, all of your body, realizing at like level one, my brain is here to like think, my ears mm. are here to like listen, my mouth is here to breathe, my nose is here to smell, my feet are here to walk and kind of being at peace with doing those things and kind of experiencing yourself and knowing, cool, like this is me, I'm grounded and this is how I can take on the world and be getting those things to a good level where you're able to go and like start your day basically or just be I absolutely love that. Oh, I've literally loved this chat. We've, we've literally could have talked to you all night. <laughs> no, it's been great. <laughs> it's been, look, thank you so much for like sharing your story, like for being vulnerable and giving us that insight into your learning. It's so, it's so intelligent, so intellectual, and it's really, really inspiring. And, um, you know, you'd have definitely helped at least one other person. And that's our only goal. If we can just reach out to one person, we 100% <laughs> no, you. have. You've helped me. So you have. You've done the job. <laughs> Boom, job done. You've um, got me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making me feel so comfortable. Like, again, it's like, it's difficult. And I think that one thing that's underappreciated in terms of this conversations and stuff is that, you know, one person can tell their story, but there's two people in the conversation and the other person has to feel comfortable to then say, you know, this is what I went through. And like, yeah. again, I've not, no disrespect to anyone else. I've had an interview with like previously and stuff, but again, like this is like maybe the second or third time I've been able to like publicly speak about it and speak about it candidly in terms of stuff that's like happened. So again, thank you for having me. I'm Francesca Donnellan and you've been listening to Becoming More Human, the podcast. You can follow Becoming More Human on Instagram, subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your podcast apps such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon and Google. And don't forget to check out our website for exclusive audio content on becomingmorehuman.co.uk. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.